0: immersive audio podcast in conversation with industry thought leaders practitioners artists academics and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art science and business to practical insights and project case
1: studies we aim to inform educate explore and unite the community Our guest today is a Grammy Award-winning percussionist, Dame Evelyn Glenny. Welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, Evelyn. Thank you. How are you today?
0: I'm good, thank you. Yes, indeed. Yes, it's, uh, you know, we just sort of take each day as it comes at the moment and, uh, and see what happens at the end of it. And uh, that's all we can do right now.
1: Evelyn, you've had an extraordinary career spanning across decades. How did it all start for you?
0: Well, I think Really, being a farmer's daughter, and I was brought up in the northeast of Scotland on a farm, and uh, and I I suppose that was my music. The whole environment of the farm, uh, bringing animals, machinery, nature, weather, you name it. That was my landscape, and that was my orchestra. And uh, and of course, being a farmer's daughter, you very quickly learn about patience because you can't force nature. Um, you quickly learn about uh, being responsible for things because you're given lots of tasks to do, lots of jobs to do. And, of course, you are around livestock and machinery. And so there is this sense of trust that that your family gives to you. And I think that, in a way, although I hadn't realized it at the time, all fed into the various activities I then plowed myself into during school, and music happened to be one of them. And uh, and I went to a teeny-weeny primary school. It only had 37 pupils in the entire school. So, of course, every Friday afternoon, the whole school had a general music lesson, and it meant that by the time we left primary school, we could all actually read music. And when I went to a, a much larger secondary school... Um, with something like 13, 1400 pupils, music was really important in the school. It was just a really good, it's a normal com- comprehensive school, but also a community school, so it was open to the whole community. And so all the subjects really, you know, was was high on the list. They they were given equal priority. And the ethos was that every child belonged to every department of the school. So you had a large proportion of the youngsters playing music. And, uh, and a large proportion actually went on to do music professionally. And we had a good pool of peripatetic instrumental teachers. So, you know, I was really, really lucky in that respect. So although I'd started piano from the age of eight, um, I actually started uh, percussion from the age of 12. And that was at secondary school. But, of course, I could already read music. So, you know, I think all of this sort of just flowed quite nicely. You know, even although we weren't forced to do these things, they were just natural things that happened as as part of the curriculum. Um, And and so, yes, I I was extremely lucky and very lucky to have a really good peripatetic percussion teacher. And he fueled my interest uh, towards percussion. And it just seemed as though the chemistry was right with that family of instruments. And so at the age of 15, I decided to make that decision to become a professional musician and to study music full time. So that was the early, early start really.
1: Your TED talk is still one of my favorite ones. It must have been very difficult to do a talk with the live performance element. Was the TED somewhat a pivotal moment for you uh, and for your mission today?
0: Well, it's really interesting how the TED Talk came about, because when I was asked to do this, it was quite last minute. The invitation came in quite last minute. And I just happened to be in the States at the time, in the US. And in those days, the tours I used to conduct were really long, or long in, in my kind of world, and that they were about two, three months long. And uh, so it's quite a while to be away from home on your own. And, uh, and I hadn't known what Ted meant, you know, when I when I accepted the the invitation, and then I discovered what it was, and then I discovered the myriad of amazing people from all walks of life, you know, who were participating in this, and uh, and so this happened in California. This particular talk early in the morning, and um, and so I hadn't actually really planned what to say, and I remember saying to my percussion technician the night before, I said, well. What do you think I'm going to say? You know what? What might be interesting here? Because you never think that what you do yourself is particularly interesting to anybody else. You know, and I was sort of thinking, well, who now wants to listen to me? You know, first thing on whatever day it was of the week, and uh, and so he said, well, just just talk about your life, basically. And uh, I said, well, my life isn't particularly interesting. And he said, no, well, just just you know, just talk about it. You you might be. You might be surprised, you know, how, how people may latch on to that. And so I did. And of course, you know, a large part of my development was when I started percussion, because, of course, I was a, a a young, you know, I was 12 years old and I was sort of trying to negotiate wearing hearing aids, hearing through hearing aids. I was still losing my hearing. And, you know, sound was a problem. Um, and although I knew I was a fairly sensitive musician inside of myself, I was having real struggles negotiating sound because it was just this barrage of noise. And it was really affecting my balance and, and my sense of touch and my sensitivity as a whole. And, uh, and I had to find a way to, 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 you know, grapple with that, to deal with that. And thankfully, my percussion teacher was one of those whereby he saw all of his pupils as sound creators first and foremost, and then musicians, and then instrumentalists. And so when he asked me to place my hands on the wall of the music room whilst he, you know, struck a timpani, this was an absolute revelation because he said, Evelyn, what are you feeling through the body? What are you physically feeling? And so suddenly, the sound was being diverted from my ears to my body. And this was as though, you know, he was God, you know, in the room. It, it, it was as though the sun rays were just suddenly beaming in that room. And it made me realize that, my gosh, you know, my body is actually like a huge ear. It needs to participate in the, the paying attention of sound. And so that really, really helped me over time, basically, to negotiate sound and to um, try to recognize it throughout my whole body and not be alarmed by the amount that might come through the ears, because, of course, the hearing aids boosts the sound, um, but it doesn't give you necessarily the clarity. But bear in mind, you know, we're talking about the sort of 70s here, late 70s. And, and so technology has moved on tremendously as regards to the types of hear- uh, hearing aids and how hearing is tested and and just the whole, you know, understanding of deafness of sound and indeed music. And and so, yes, this was a a, a huge part really of the story um, that I was able to talk about um, during the TED Talk. So it ended up being possibly one of the the most beneficial things I have done along with the, the creation of the film Touch the Sound. And um, because, of course, when that came about, when I was asked to participate in that uh, by the German director and filmmaker, Thomas Riedelsheimer, um, at first I, I said, no, I'm just not really interested because I would so many things already, you know, made about me. And it was all the usual, oh, you're deaf, you can't hear. That means silence. So how can you play music? And it was sort of this squeaky sort of um, slant to it. And I just didn't want that anymore. And... Uh, And he said, no, 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 this is about sound. This is about the fact that sound is literally all around us. And, you know, how can we pay attention to that a little bit more? And that really intrigued me because he seemed to absolutely, you know, hit the nail on the head as regards to what I felt, you know, I was experiencing myself. So it wasn't about me and my deafness. It was about the fact that this is what we can all do, actually, um, you know, we can all participate in this. So listening is something that we choose to do. It, it, it isn't something to do with hearing. It's not about whether you can hear or not hear or what a medical graph says. Um, you know, you can have someone who is completely, totally deaf. So there's nothing on that graph. They can be amazing listeners. So, and that was what Thomas was really trying to focus on. And that's what I I was trying to focus on, certainly with the TED Talk.
1: I believe the concept of immersive audio and listening might have a whole different meaning to you compared to many listeners. Can you share your view on the meaning of listening and perceiving music and sounds and the whole world in general?
0: Well, that's quite a mammoth uh, question, actually. And and I mean, I think the first thing um, that I have to remind myself of is that, you know, our capabilities of what we hear, first of all, is quite limited when you compare that to uh, many animals and uh, underwater species and so on, where their, their range is far, far greater than ours, and they react to that. And, you um, However, I think that what has been important for me is to understand how during our lives our whole sound environment changes. So, my sound environment growing up on a farm, and if I went back to the farm now, or indeed when I do go back to the farm, my, my brother has it now, um, it's a very different sound experience. And to when my father had it, it's still a farm but it's a very different farm and the whole environment sound wise has really changed. So how we interact with that is quite different. So there's a lot more cosmetically enhanced sounds there. There's a, a lot more sounds indoors that are more technical, um, that are uh, technically enhanced as opposed to more livestock enhanced. Um, the type of machinery used is much quieter. Can you believe than what it used to be? Um, because just the the machinery has been really advanced. It's much more computer-oriented. The engines are much more velvet-like and so on. And so it's a really different kind of sound experience. And, you know, when we think about um, travel at the beginning of the 20th century, you know, horse and cart and all the could-be clocks that that went through our our towns and cities to to then cars, and now we're thinking about electric cars and so on, which would be a a quieter environment. Um, So it's going to change, you know, in the next 20 years, 50 years, 70 years, 100 years and so on. So I think, therefore, how we interact with that needs to always be fluid, it, it really does. And I'm a big believer in bringing technology to the body and body to technology. I want to expand the body in its natural state as much as it can for it to reach out to technology. So whatever the human hand or the human um, machine can do, make sure those senses are really, really stretched as far as possible. So technology, in my mind, you know, it shouldn't really uh, replace, uh, you know, what. So, I mean, if I'm playing a marimba or a drum, I don't want technology to replace that if I can do it myself. What I do want to happen is for me to play a marimba or a drum and then for technology to sort of, Take that sound, that vibration, that resonance, that inner sound of the drum that perhaps the human ear and the human body can no longer feel, but technology will allow us to still engage with that sound for it to become then another extension, another specimen, another avenue to uh, a sound for us to explore. So that I'm absolutely interested in, and I love to do that in, in my concerts, and to see sound technicians, um, sound artists as, as, you know, part of that creative force. Um, it's, it's really important. So what you see on stage, you know, the creativity doesn't just stop there. There's creativity all around the, the space that we're performing in, because that ultimately is the instrument we play. It isn't the drum or the, the marimba. It's the It's the room, the space that we're in. That has to be the thing that we're, Um, duetting with really that we're we're, um, you know embracing in a way because every acoustic is going to be different you know sound is fluid and you know how we are how we think our emotions and so on uh, are also fluid and they very much interact with um, our soundscape so if we're feeling a bit low you know our listening skills might be a little bit less, you know, or if we're tired, or um, we have slightly less patience, with slightly less engagement, and so on, rather than if we're feeling a bit up and happy, and 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 so on, that that we have then a different engagement. So I think really listening to yourself first and foremost. So it can be as simple as, you know, you wake up in the morning and you, you say to yourself, oh, shall I take a shower first or shall I have my breakfast first? Um, or shall I have a shower or a bath, you know? Um, and whatever you say to yourself within yourself, oh, I'll have a shower first, then you go and have a shower. Now, that might mean that, well, when by the time you have your breakfast, you're feeling a bit more fresh. You're you're thinking, oh, great, I'm old, you know, squeaky clean and I'm ready to go and I feel a bit better rather than having your breakfast first and then you've got to think oh now now I've kind of got to get in the shower and and you just you know it just might change that emotion a little bit so then it becomes a a bit more tedious and whatever and then that might impact your next action your next action so whatever you say to yourself And however you listen to yourself, so the patience that you give to yourself will lead to a particular action. So really, I suppose, if there is any system or method, listen to yourself, first of all, and then really take note what action follows that. You know, because there's always an action, there there really is, you know. So it could be, oh, I'm going to switch the TV on. You flick through the channels and say, oh, I'm going to watch EastEnders instead of, I don't know, um, Celebrity, get me out of here. And so you have to think to yourself, okay, I'm just going to do that. But you've listened to yourself, you've listened to that decision, and it's followed by an action. And so I think as musicians, this is something that we do all of the time because we're constantly analyzing what we do so even after you've performed some people might say oh that was wonderful that was lovely very nice thank you very much and so on but you might shut that dressing room door and you might think you know what um I need to go back to the drawing board here or, oh, you know, that needs a bit of attention and fixing or, oh, you know, I, I, I could have given myself the chance to try that or, oh, that didn't quite work, but well done for trying it and da-da-da-da-da. So you've got all of this reflection going on and that's what listening is. It's, it's reflecting. But if you are asking for, um, you know, physically how we can engage, it is literally sitting still Literally standing, sitting, just being in a stationary place and just observing what is around you and how is that body receiving the sound. Not being over-analytical at all, you know, so it's not going to change your life as such but it becomes an attitude. And then once it does become more normal and then you're getting used to this body, just sort of stopping, paying attention. So literally stand, you know, on a busy street, you know, on the pavement and just stand there and observe the traffic going to and fro, to and fro. How is this body reacting to that traffic? And and then how are you thinking about this? Are you finding it annoying? Are you finding it actually it's not as bad as I, as I thought it would be. It's not as loud as I thought because the sound is being distributed through the whole body. Um, or you might think, oh, blimey, that was a massive sound that went through there. Oh, that reminds me of X, Y, or Z. It might give you an inspiration for a sound in your studio or a way to play a great big bass drum or something. For me, I'm really seeing things. So even as I look out the window right now, you know, I'm seeing little leaves falling off the tree. The tree is quite sort of sparse with leaves, but there are still some on there. But, you know, the way that the leaves are sort of swaying in that wind, it's kind of rhythmic, but not rhythmic either. So this will allow me an opportunity to think that, ah, you know what, I could just use that sense of movement as I use brushes on a snare drum. You know, or as I use brushes on a steel pan and just go round and round and, and in different kinds of ways. It's opening up those senses because they will all connect and we're really trying to, to allow bridges to be built to bring the senses together.
1: Moving on to a somewhat related topic, I think it ties directly into our discussion, but I really kind of want to address it separately. It's your mission, because I can certainly see that you're very passionate about it. And uh, I see the longevity and huge effort trying to kind of bring the message across to the world, essentially, through your work and through your publishing work. And the mission is, I'll quote, to teach the world to listen. Yes. And I I guess what I'd like to ask you is, what do you tell people? Where do you even start? What steps do you take in this journey of educating and enlightening the students and the like-minded people?
0: Well, it's interesting because in a way, this has all been a fairly natural journey and it wasn't something whereby I decided to now do this. And because, of course, you know, my whole upbringing, as I mentioned, on the farm uh, was all about listening, responsibility, trust. And then the development as a musician, that's all about listening, responsibility, and trust. So it's trusting yourself, trusting the audience, trusting the piece of music, trusting the instruments, and so on, trusting all the people who make that performance happen. And we all have responsibilities. And then once I started giving masterclasses and workshops, what I found I was doing with the youngsters was basically asking them to trust themselves, you know, and to give them the responsibility as regards to their own decision-making for them to really listen to the choices that they had available. And for many, they didn't really think there were choices. They either thought, well, you did it like that, or you did it like that, or it was wrong, or it was right. And of course, that's not the case at all. And um, But you need time to develop things, time to digest things and so on. And of course, when you're a student, you know, you're you're slightly impatient with time and time can seem an awful long time. So um, actually, it was really about that. And it was all to do with listening, you know, listening to themselves. And just as we talked about before, where, you know, when you listen to yourself and whatever you're chatting about within yourself, it leads to an action. And so all of that had an impact on their Uh, practice time, how they use their time, what they were aiming for and so on and, and setting their priorities. And, uh, and then I discovered that really, you know, as I went through certain, you know, relationships, so, you know, boyfriends or whatever, partnerships, then I realized that, my God, you know, an awful lot of the ones that perhaps didn't work out was, was simply because the listening aspect had completely broken down. And so after years, you know, you begin to analyze these sort of things and you realize that actually it's just su- such simple things that can suddenly make things go all, you you know, bleak and 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 you know dismantled and and you know fragmented and and we just lose all sense of listening, you know and uh, and it becomes a real battle. and it's such a shame. And then we see this in the workplace, we see it in the homes, we see it in politics, we see it in every single avenue. And so really, it made me realize that actually listening is the one aspect that glues us all together. It really, and it isn't about sound, it isn't about a a certain noise, a, a certain type of piece of music or anything like that. It is about the patience of wanting to be there and engage with a particular thing or person. That's basically what it is. So as we're having a conversation right now, you know, I see you as the most important person in my life. That's all I care about at this moment. So as I'm speaking to you, I'm not also thinking about, oh, you know, what else needs to be done the rest of the day? Or oh, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? Or, oh, I must remember to do this or that. You are literally all I care about. And that is how I am listening right now, is putting all of my engagement, all of my focus, all of my concentration towards you and I, this moment in time, and that really, you know, in the face of it, is a really simple thing. You know, when you say, well, just just focus on the moment, and but that takes time. It takes energy. It's 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 something that again needs to be practiced in a way, especially as we're from with all sorts of stuff and we're, you know, distracted by our phones and this and this and this and this. And we've really got to to just sort of be absolutely firm with ourselves and say, this is what I'm focusing on. And that's what I was doing in the masterclasses with students, you know, is that focus. Because when you are performing... you know, that's what you do. You're not suddenly in the middle of a, you know, percussion concerto saying, "Oh, I'll just, I'll just check my emails," you know, between the first movement and second movement, or, or you know, I'll, I'll just have a cup of tea and I'll be back in five minutes to play the next movement, or, or I'll just, just go and check to see, you know, if there's any post, you know, come through to my dressing room, and you know, they would throw you out, and and you know, you'd never be asked back again, and and but yet we do it with so many other aspects of our life. So it's taking that thread and just using that simple, simple thing to really focus on. And of course, this whole lockdown period and this whole, you you know, where we've been able to identify a date in March 2020, whereby all of our lives changed, big or small, it changed for us all globally, that it made us realize, you know, wow, we've got senses, amazing senses. And this lockdown has allowed us to interact with the senses, to have those senses magnified, to appreciate those senses. You know, when, when Sir David Attenborough, you know, comes on our screens and says, you know, just open your front door, open your back door, open your window and just sort of look, smell, feel touch, you know, listen. That's what he's asking us to do. And suddenly we're all saying, wow, you know, the air is amazing. And oh, crumbs, there's so many creepy crawlies in my garden that I'd never noticed before. And wow, everything's just so vivid color-wise and and so on. And, "Mm," you know, whatever it might be, because we've just allowed us the time to engage with that particular moment. So there's nothing Zen-like about this. There's nothing, it's nothing to do with religion. It's, you know, there's nothing mystical about it or anything like that. It's just simply us being on this planet and knowing what an amazing machine we have as a human body um, and and just allowing us the opportunity to interact.
1: Yeah, I can't agree more. I think we all need a little bit of that uh, these days. It, it just, uh, just brings you back home and makes you happy in your own body in your own situation in your own life simple things like that
0: absolutely but when you think about it when you think of um you know cave people people who used to live in caves and and where they were so attuned to acoustics you know they really really were so attuned to um signs of warning or or uh, sounds that, that allowed them to, to hunt, sounds that, that, you know, gave them so many messages. When we think of African drumming, the talking drum, when we think of so many different aspects through history, you know, sound and connecting with the environment through sound has been such a profound thing. And I think that obviously through technology, we've allowed that which we've had to do because you've almost got to reach the other side of the situation in order to then see, oh, well, where do we need to um, adjust things a little bit so that we absolutely don't lose sight of what we ourselves and our senses can do because they're extremely powerful. They really are. So this isn't about a, a disability as such because a disability will allow other avenues to ignite will allow other connections to be made. Um, and that's what's so powerful about a so-called disability. It's not a disability. It's a disability when we box things up. There that, that are so many connections then that... a a disabled person can then do that a a so-called able-bodied person can't do. And then listening becomes much more profound because it may take more time to do something, but the engagement of that then becomes really, really important. So we can really, really learn an awful lot and observe an awful lot by people whereby we think that, oh, you know, they can't walk, or, oh, they've got no arms, or or they're deaf, or they're blind, or whatever. But actually, the connections that they're making in other ways is absolutely astounding. And we have to really be open and, and learn from that. And that just takes time to begin to understand the world that they may be in.
1: You've recently published your book called Listen world with an exclamation mark. What's the book about and who is it for?
0: Well, basically, um, I was asked by a, uh, a publishing company who um, they, they write a, uh, or publish a lot of books for young people, um, mainly teenagers and about all sorts of things. You know, it can be about science or religion or arts or um. um oof, anything really, you know, Shakespeare or or whatever, all sorts of things. And so they asked if I would like to gather some of my writings or thoughts and things like that together. So it's not a a biography or an autobiography. It's it's not a chronological book in any kind of way. It is just basically a collection of various thoughts, various past speeches and essays and things like that that I've written over the years, Uh, various projects I've been involved with. And it's targeted towards teenagers, quite literally. And um, and it's it's basically about listening, you know, my little pathway towards listening to various things that I've engaged with as a musician, um, as a person, you know, just growing up on a farm. um, You know, what listening means for me, uh, where I want to take it in the future, um, and how we can all basically engage with this. Um, for them to um, just observe what their listening skills are? What is their listening environment? You know, does their home need a, a, a sound spring clean, for example? So what's the sign of their kitchen? What's the sign of their living room, their, their bedroom, their bathroom, whatever it is, you know, their garden and so on? Are there sounds there that absolutely do not need to be there? And have they thought about, you know, that sound environment and how it affects their well-being. You know, some people like to have music when they do their homework. Some people don't. Some people like to work in an office where there's there's music going on. Some people don't. Some people prefer music happening in the afternoon. Some people prefer it in the morning and so on. And all of this kind of soundscape um, aspect really has a powerful effect on our productivity and our creativity. Um, you know, just as supermarkets think about um, you know, where they place items on shelves, you know, or the smell when you walk into a, a supermarket of fresh fruit or bread or whatever it is, you know, there's a reason for all of that or why there might be music in the alcohol uh, part of a, of a supermarket, you know, to try and just sort of uh, allow you to linger there a bit more and therefore buy a bit more and so on. There's always a reason to things. So it's just asking our young people, you know, have they thought about this, you know, What's the sound of your, your school? Um, I mean, one of the projects I was involved with and instigated with two other people a few years ago was a project called the Signs of Science. And when we think about science, for example, we normally read about science, whether it's through doing experiments or through books or looking at pictures and so on. But we don't necessarily think about uh, the signs of science through sound, and when you think about the history and the development of science and technology through sound, you can think about stone tool making. Well, what was the sound of that kind of environment? To the discovery of fire. Well, what's the sound of fire? What does that mean then? What does that lead on to? Or the sound of uh, the first computer. You know, a lot of our young people don't know what the sound of the very first computer was. Or the sound of silent movies. You know, there's a sound to silent movies, um, often the piano. Um, Or what was the sound of the very first uh, words down a telephone wire? Um, You know, what's the sound of a typewriter? A bicycle bell, you know, and goes on and on and on. And a lot of people have never really heard an awful lot of sounds historically. And it just allows them to appreciate that, well, my gosh, you know, all the different frequencies there, how a particular sound might have led to a particular action. So it's allowing our youngsters to think about what is their sound environment right now and what sort of actions does that lead to in their lives.
1: Evelyn, you also have a podcast. What's the idea behind a podcast? Tell us more.
0: Well, basically, I started the podcast uh, just prior to the lockdown period in March 2020, and uh, I just felt that you know throughout my life, I've met a lot of people and really interesting people, very diverse people as well. And I just you know, obviously podcasts seem to be nothing that that many people do. And I thought, well, this is something that that perhaps I can also engage with and um, but I was really keen to have um you know quite diverse guests, so ranging from Uh, comedians to business people to historians to musicians to all sorts of people sports people presenters you name it and uh and to just sort of try to bring together um you know what listening may mean for them how that's changed throughout their, their course of time um you know so trying to to I I suppose compare notes in a way, because, of course, when you do what you do, it's sometimes done in isolation. You know, for me as a musician, I practice in my in my practice room. It's all it's done by myself. I, I spend hours by myself. And then you have that very lonely period after a performance. You know, once everybody has said what they want to say, you then shut that dressing room door. And it's a very lonely place and you're there with yourself, with your own thoughts. And, uh, and what you say to yourself is extremely important. And, you know, for me, I've always had a uh, touch wood, a, a pretty good way of, of being moderate about stuff. You know, I've been kind to myself, but at the same time, I'm really hard on myself. I push myself, but I'm never aggressive to myself and I'm never unkind to myself. I never put myself down, um, but I know that I have to, you know, push myself and be real be honest with myself when I'm analysing or reflecting. And I think there is a big difference between reflection and analysing. With analysing, I feel you need to make a result. There needs to be a kind of difference, you know, so you go back to the drawing board and you try to fix X, Y, or Z or develop X, Y, or Z. With reflection, you just simply absorb what happens so you're not making any kind of judgment at all. And it's getting that... Two, those two things together, you know, really, really well that, that is important. So I think that, you know, I find that actually with all of the guests, you know, they went through, you know, That that type of thing, you know, whether it was Mary Beard in uh, perhaps after a television program she had made or a book she had written. And then, of course, listening to all of the feedback of that, and especially with social media, you know, getting drowned with all sorts of opinions. You've really got to be absolutely firm in yourself and, and just like a bit of bamboo, you know, where you're never going to break. It's going to sway, but it's never going to break. And, and just keep listening to yourself. So observing what's around you, but then absolutely staying true to yourself. So you might, you know, see lots of different opinions. You say, you know what, that really resonates with me or that doesn't resonate with you. That doesn't mean to say that you become aggressive with that. It's just acknowledging it, saying thank you very much and just moving on from that. So there's an awful lot of this balancing that that has to happen. And with all of the guests, you know, whether it's Bill Bailey, you know, sort of spending maybe two years working on a sketch, you know, working on a routine and trying that out on his family, you know, to the close ones right there, you know, on his doorstep and then sort of trying it out on a... Uh, on on stage, and then listening to the audience, the feedback. And for a comedian, it's absolutely vital where the the audience is so much part of that routine. It really is. And for him to feed off that. For musicians, some people acknowledge the audience, some people don't. So you have a different scenario again. So it's trying to, to find the real links
1: can't help myself but to ask about your extraordinary instrument collection that I can see behind you. Obviously, our listeners can't, unfortunately, but I can. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in the room? Because some of this stuff I've never even seen before.
0: (laughs) Yes. I mean, I remember when I started percussion from the age of 12 and my percussion teacher at school said, oh, you know, it's time now to buy a pair of drumsticks. And I asked my parents, oh, apparently, you know, my teacher has asked me, you know, to, to buy a pair of drumsticks. Would you kindly do that? Which they did. And then a few weeks later, my teacher said, oh, now you need a pair of timpani sticks and so I went to my mom and dad, oh, apparently now I need a pair of timpani sticks. And said, oh, okay, well, what the drumsticks do in the timpani? And I said, well, no, they're different types of sticks. And then a few weeks later, oh, now I need a pair of xylophone sticks. And I could see my parents going, hold on a second, you know, this is like a never ending sort of journey here. And I knew then that I'd be a collector of something. So it started off collecting mallets, sticks and mallets, percussion sticks and mallets, for which I've probably got thousands of them in, in all different shapes and sizes. But what you're seeing in this particular room is a whole floor full of, as you say, different different types of objects. They're almost, in many cases, pieces of art, but they are all usable instruments from literally all over the world. So we have Chinese tomtoms, We have clay drums that were made by a a, a sculptor from Orkney uh, in Scotland. We have African djembes. We have uh, metal strongos which uh, were made by a wonderful uh, sculptor in, in the U.S. We have very old timpani from the grandfather of percussion in this country, James Blades. We have great long uh, African cowbells that you actually – um, stick in the ground, can you believe? And they, they shoot right upwards, you know, just like a plant or something and you, you play them. We have Vietnamese woodblocks and guiros. We have lots of different African types of uh, drums. Uh, we have uh, Chinese temple bowls and uh, religious type instruments. Um, uh, lots of different shells and seed pod shakers and and all sorts of things, and then larger instruments such as the Indonesian gamelan and vibraphones, marimbas, xylophones, um, and a great big African amadinda, which you probably don't see. And then we have an instrument called the allophone, which we used for the London 2012 Olympic ceremony. Um, Oh, we have a wonderful uh, glass harmonica that, can you believe, uh, a farmer who lived close to the family farm in Scotland had. And several years ago, he asked my mum, you know, would I like to to have a look at this when I was next up in Scotland, which I did. It had been in his family for, since he was a little boy, and that must have been over 100 years ago now. And uh, and he just asked, you know, would I like to have this? And And it's the most beautiful, beautiful instrument. I'm always on the lookout. I really am. And when I used to travel an awful lot in the days whereby you could just sort of turn up in an airport with the most obscure things, and they would allow you to walk on the airplane with these sort of things, unlike nowadays, whereby, you know, you're only allowed X amount of weight or whatever. Um, So, yes, I was able to bring back an awful lot of really interesting things. Now we've got Amazon and eBay, and so less romantic in in how we find things. (laughs)
1: I was going to say Native Instruments if you are listening please somebody needs to come and sample this beautiful collection because I'm sure there are some amazing sounds that our community of composers and sound designers would be absolutely grateful for.
0: Absolutely yeah very welcome and I'm always interested you know to to hear from instrument makers or sculptors or sound creators you know absolutely because it's a shared experience and what I find fascinating is that you know Certainly, you know, since the the lockdown period, it's allowed me to catalogue all of these instruments for the Edmund Glennie collection. And so I've got to about 1,500, and there's probably still another 1,000 to go. And it's allowed me to literally pick up, as I'm cataloguing, every single object, quite literally my raw hand with that object. And I'm sort of of re-engaging with the, 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 the instrument. And it's really allowed me to look at it, to play it again, to, to try different techniques, different ways of, of getting sound out of it. And it's been absolutely fascinating. It's been a really great exercise for me mentally as well as you know from a musician's point of view so i've appreciated the time being in one place for this length of time otherwise you know i'm I'm absolutely here there, and everywhere and you just don't get that same opportunity so i've been appreciative from that point of view and uh and so yes i've absolutely loved being with the instruments
1: can you give one piece of advice to our audience that really helped you in your career?
0: I think the piece of advice is listen to yourself. It sounds really selfish, but it's absolutely crucial. Everything comes from within outwards. So we're being bombarded with external things that we try then to fit into our thinking into our bodies, into our physique and so on. It's like seeing a technique and we practice and practice and practice and practice that te- technique. And we try to fit our body to that technique, you know, and no matter how hard we practice, we might still find something just not quite right. It just doesn't sit quite, quite well with us. But it's when we think about bringing that technique to our body, allowing our body to wrap itself around that technique it becomes a different thing because we've all got different lengths of arms, different shaped hands, you know, where some are tall, some are short, whatever, whatever. And I have to make that sort of situation, a technique really work for my body. And so it's listening to the body. It's listening to me, first of all, and then allowing this technique to, to you know, be a complete, completely natural experience towards the makeup of my body. And so I can't make a a technique happen in the same way that someone who's six foot and may have great long arms or something. We're talking about two different specimens here, you know. Um, And so we have to listen to ourselves. And that means, you know, mentally how we listen to ourselves, physically how we listen to ourselves. So I think the best piece of advice I was given when my teacher asked me, to put my hands on that music wall as he struck the drum. And he basically, he, he was saying, Evelyn, pay attention, listen, and listen how that sound seeps through your whole body. And then it became my sound. I owned that sound because I had the patience to listen to how it resonated through my body, not through his body, not through someone else's body, but through my body. And then from that, I could make the choice what to do thereafter. So the piece of advice is listen to yourself.
1: And for those listeners who would love to hear more about your fascinating work, what's the best way to find out more?
0: Well, um, I, I do have a website uk, and that has all of the social media platforms. So the website is more factual. Um, Twitter is what's happening now, as is Instagram, which is more video oriented. And then of course, Facebook is engaging with a Uh, a huge demographic uh, with lots of little educational things there, as well as promotional things and so on. Um, But really, all of the social media platforms, including the website, um, is there. But also, you know, it's very important that people know that on the website, there is a contact section. We have a really small team, very dedicated team here, who are absolutely eager to engage and help Um, and support in any way possible so success doesn't happen in isolation so the team and and myself would be very happy to engage with anybody
1: absolutely and we'll make sure to include all the relevant links in the podcast show notes uh including your youtube channel where you show your instrument collection on regular basis as well as the podcast evelyn it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you so much
0: thank you it's been a big pleasure thank you very much indeed Before you go, we want to hear from you.
1: If you'd like to let us know what you think about our show, please take the quick survey in this episode's description. It'll help us make the Immersive Audio Podcast even better. We really appreciate your feedback. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Michelle Chan and included music by Anobs Bergamo. If you can... Head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further. The podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.